a letter that Paul wrote to this city in Greece named Corinth, and we're in chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to read the first 17 verses of chapter 3. If you're using a pew Bible, it's nine, page 953, and it's always helpful to just have your Bibles open and follow along as we reference different um, words or phrases uh, in the preaching of God's Word. Let's stand together. As we read First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, these are the words of the Lord. But I, brothers, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh, you are of the flesh and you're behaving in just a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Take a seat here and take a moment to reflect together on God's word. It's my guess that most of you don't pay much attention to warning labels on consumer products. Uh, The writing's small. You pretty much know how to use it anyway, so you just kind of skip the whole warning label thing. You bypass these Crucial safety instructions. And uh, one of the reasons you bypass them is that if you've ever read one, it just seems like this is so painfully obvious what not to do with this product. Why would I ever need to be warned about it? And so let me just give you a couple of samples. These are actual warnings on consumer products. On an iron, this is what the warning label said, never iron clothes while they are being worn. I mean, you just think, okay, I've got a wrinkle here. I mean, it doesn't take long to figure out. That's probably not going to be a good idea. 
So why is that even necessary? Why do you have to inform somebody of that? A fishing lure with a three-pronged tip, warning label, harmful if swallowed. <laughs> I mean, you know, the fisherman's out in the boat and saying, dang, we ran out of chips. Give me some of those three-pronged uh, fishing lures. Let me chuck a few of those things down, see how they go. Cardboard sunshield, you know, the things you block the sun out while you're in the park, park your car. Warning label, please do not drive with the sunshield in place. I mean, come on. It's great at blocking out the sun, but I just can't see when I drive around. Maybe my favorite, the portable baby stroller comes with this warning. Remove the infant before folding the stroller for storage. I mean, come on. I mean, does somebody call and say... I loved your stroller, but like I lost my baby. Where is it? And you just hear, it's in the closet, you know, it's like stuffed in the closet. Well, you know, when you read these things, you just start discarding all the warning labels because it seems ridiculous. But there are some warning labels that need our close attention. That they, they call us to say that, you know, you might not see something here. This might not be obvious. It actually could, you could be using the product in a, in a bad way. And I would suggest that two such warnings are here in these 17 verses of chapter 3. If there was a heading that you might put here, it would be warning to the church and its leaders. This is like a warning label. Paul's trying to, to pull out this warning label and say, I've, I've got a warning and it's got two parts. First, it's for the, the people of the church, the congregation. And secondly, it's for the leaders. The, the warning is aimed at the person in the pew and then the person in the pulpit, the, the student and the teacher. So I want to look at those. And it divides pretty much in half, uh, chapter 3, 1 through 9, and then 10 through the end of the verses that we read. So the first warning label here is warning for the people at the church in Corinth. And obviously we can have some application to ourselves as well. As we read through this whole letter of 16 chapters, what we're going to see is just Paul tackling one problem after another. Uh, The church at Corinth is a dysfunctional church. Paul had planted the church, but he'd gone away for a few years. And he gets this report back that all these terrible things are going on in the church of Corinth. And so he just kind of picks them off one chapter at a time. But the first thing he wants to drill down on, and he does it for four of the 16 chapters. So this is a critical piece. It's divisions inside the church. It's like if we can't get that done, then all the other things, we're just not going to be able to figure them out because we're always going to be sort of fighting against each other. And you see it there in verse 4. There's these groups of people. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And, and what was happening is the, the church at Corinth is planted in, obviously, a, a culture. And the culture is competitive. And so competitive culture sort of breeds who's best. Which one is best? You get behind a team that you think is best. You, you, you get behind somebody you think they're, they're the best. You try to become the, the top of your class. And not only just is it a competitive culture, it's hungry for recognition. So these are two bad things to mix together. 
I'm competitive, and I'm hungry for recognition. And the big problem for the church in Corinth, any great challenge for every church, is the culture is leaking into the church. And so the people coming into the church are immersed in this culture, and what they've done is they've taken that competitiveness and they've taken that hunger for recognition, and they've rallied around these great celebrity speakers, or they've made them celebrity speakers like Paul or Apollos or Peter. And they say, well, I mean, it's great that you listen to Peter, but I'm the Paul person. He, he was the founder of the church. And, and they wouldn't say it out loud, but they would think, and I'm a little bit better than you are. I mean, they're great, but we're number one. And, of course, you're not going to say that inside the church, but that's what's stirring up in the hearts of the, these people, and it's come out. And it's caused division. There's jealousy and strife, as Paul says. These, these, this one family is now sort of battling out against each other. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. He, Paul uses this great uh, visual. Don't be puffed up. Puffed up. The, the Greek word, fusio, it's fun to say, fusio. Is a, uh, it's a word picture for bellows. You know what that is? That's that old, you know, thing that, that looks like an accordion, you know, and you pull it apart and you push it together and then this nozzle comes out and, and air comes rushing out. And he's saying, that's what you're doing. You're just taking bellows and you're pumping your, it's like you pumping yourself up. I'm sticking the bellows in my body and I'm getting bigger. And one of the main problems with that, of getting puffed up, is they're beginning to to cast a shadow on the power of the cross itself. Paul says earlier in the chapter, you're emptying the cross of its power. Why? Because people aren't just looking at the cross anymore. You're puffing yourself up, so you get a little bit of the spotlight. And that's what, he's, that's what he's trying to work against, these people who have puffed themselves up. And really the thing that's most difficult about this, I think, for Paul, as the, as the people puff themselves up, they thought, I'm getting mature. Got to know that. They think, I'm getting Peter down, Paul down, Apollos down. I'm getting it down, and I'm growing spiritually. And these poor other people... You know, I'm leaving them behind. The very people who have the problem think they're the most mature. This is why the warning label is necessary here. They don't see the problem. They're taking the iron and applying it to themselves. They don't understand the problem that is existing in their own heart. And so Paul comes in with this warning label. And he says it in three different ways. Very hard. He's trying to take the needle out and pop the bubble of their ego. Verse 1, I cannot address you as spiritual people. I mean, just imagine how hard that would have been to hear. The Apostle Paul has written us a letter, and we're going to read it in church today. And you're like the spiritual elite club, so you make sure you get the front because you think Paul's really going to talk about you, and I see some of you are growing, and I want to encourage that. And then chapter 3, I can't even address you as spiritual people. I mean, you feel it, don't you? You're people of the flesh. You're still worldly. 
Verse 4, when you cause division, you're acting merely human. And then the kicker, verse 2, what does he say? You're acting like a baby. I mean, this had to really rock the world of the people sitting in that, that congregation. They're just, you can just hear the air coming out of them. So it's been a few years, and Paul's bit from planning the church, and he's getting this report back. And what he's getting back is that Paul, you know, people did genuinely come into the church. They really were brothers and sisters. He's really addressing real Christians, but real Christians who never grew. They just got stuck. They stopped growing at infancy. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go back to a high school reunion. So 10 years later, 15 years later, 25 years later, for me, like three years later, that's about where I am. And so, but you go back and everybody looks older, right? But then you find a few people you think, but you haven't changed. You're the same immature person that I knew when I was 18 and you're 58. Now, you don't say that because it's a high school reunion, right? But you, 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 you just, it's a few of those people you think, you're, you're the exact same person. You're, you're 10 years or 20 or 30 years older, but you really haven't changed. I remember someone coming to me, and I was talking about spiritual maturity. And they said, Paul, I've been a one-year-old Christian for 18 years. They really were a Christian, but they never had grown. So they were still in the kingdom. That wasn't the question. The question was, they just never grew. Paul delivers proof in case he kind of hears the audience saying, I I don't think we are. Verses 3 and 4, jealousy and strife over Paul and Apollos. They knew it. I mean, they knew it, right? He's pointing it out. Here, you got the Apollos group and then the... Peter group and then the the Paul group they 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 said you got all jealousy and strife and they're looking over to the group like yeah I don't like you they know it there's jealousy and strife they're they're acting like two-year-olds they're it's kind of like Paul's better than Paulus is not is too is not you know and you're like come on so unattractive it's certainly unattractive in a two-year-old, but it's understandable, right? You understand a two-year-old is going to act a certain way, but if the two-year-old begins to act that same way when they're 20, it's not very fun. I have a son, Zachary, and he, he had a sort of a different way of protest. He had the silent protest. So it wasn't the screaming, yelling typically. It was just when he wasn't getting his way, he just decided he would lay down. And, you know, that would have been fine if he decided to lay down in his bed. I would have been like, okay, go lay down in your bed. But he would lay down in a parking lot. <laughs> so we're at Walmart, and he just decides, I'm not getting my way. I'm going down. <laughs> Nancy's pushing the cart, you know, with Morgan in it, and we're going down the grocery aisle, and Zachary doesn't get the Captain Crunch, and guess what? I'm laying down in the grocery aisle. And the thing is, then he would just lay down and offer no help. So now you've got a 30-pound weight. This is just bringing a tear of joy to my eyes as I think about it. You've got somebody backed up, right, or a car, 
And you're looking for the security camera because you're going to start beating your kid here in a minute. You don't want to be caught on tape. That's a joke if you're a visitor. So I don't want DSS coming to my house today, all right? But you, you understand that? Like we can all laugh about that, and that's funny now because he's grown up. And he's going to have a grandson, and I have a little prayer for my grandson <laughs> that I won't share with you right now. But what if he did that when he was 20? I mean, what if you're going down the grocery aisle and there's a grown man just laying down? <laughs> but you, do you see, Paul is saying when you drink milk and you're a baby, that's great. That's what you're supposed to drink. But eventually you're supposed to grow. You're, you're supposed to change. The gospel comes into your life, not just to set you free so you can get into heaven, but so your life changes. You don't just continue to act like an infant. And so Paul's looking back years later, and he's got a big group of, he's got a large group of people called the church, but they're all one-year-olds. They can't seem to get out of the infant stage. It's worth sort of pausing here for a moment for some self-assessment. Are, are you growing spiritually? Now notice, not, not are you growing in knowledge. Knowledge is helpful, but notice that's not what Paul talks about. What does he talk about? He talks about something emotionally. He's saying... Jealousy and strife. So my question is, here's the test. Uh, are, you, uh, for, are you growing spiritually? Do you complain less? See, you could grow a lot in knowledge and still whine a lot. And Paul would say, well, I don't really care about how many Bible verses you quote because it hadn't changed your heart. So, so do you complain less? Are you less angry? Are you less bitter? Are you more forgiving? Are you slower to speak and quicker to listen? Or would you say, you know what? I've been a Christian for 15 years, but I'm still a one-year-old. Now, it's okay if you're not okay. But it's not okay to stay there. So just say, okay, that's why I am and I'm going to need some help. I need somebody to come help me. Help, help me move out of the infant room and move on. And that's what we're here for. So if you're one of those people, we want to try to help you. But let's just notice how Paul ad- addresses the problem. He's trying to give a corrective. In the first four verses, he's just trying to pop the bubble. And then he's saying, here, here's how you begin to change. Here's how you begin to take your, yourself out of the center. And he uses this agricultural analogy talks about a gardener and somebody who plants and somebody who waters and then god is the person who makes things grow and so it's a neat analogy but what i want you to notice as i just read it again is how paul is intentionally trying to push them out of the center and put god at the center that's the main thing so he says what then is apollos or paul their servants Servants of the Lord, they're, they're on an assignment by the Lord, verse 5. Yes, I, I planted an Apollos water, but God great gave the growth. And then the strong, verse 7, 
neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You see what he's doing? He's saying, Corinthians, you've got yourself in the center, and I'm going to push something into the center, and that's going to be God. And when God's at the center, then you begin to mature. As long as you're standing at the center, we're going to have this immaturity. So Paul's purposely pushing that in. And I just love verse 5. You're servants on assignment. These teachers, Apollos, Paul, Peter, they're servants on assignment. Servants on assignment. Servants is a popular Greek word, diakonos. You get the word deacon. It means table waiter. So what is Paul Phillips? He's a table waiter. I'm, I'm a servant on assignment. I'm not the meal. Thank God I am not the meal. You cannot rest your life on me. I am not big enough for you to rest your life on, or I cannot save you. Only one person is big enough for that. And it's my personal responsibility to deliver that person to you. That's the best I can do. I can take the food from here, and I can give it to you. That's my role. I'm just bringing it from the Bible to you. I'm a servant on assignment. I'm a deliverer of the person who is the deliverer. Verse 6 and 7, you're, you're not anything. And I would say, I think what Paul is trying to say there is that Paul and Apollos and Peter, there are means, but they're not the cause. They are doing something, but the cause of the growth is all going to be for God's glory. Verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. That doesn't mean we're working together with God. It means Peter and Paul and Apollos, all these teachers, they're working together underneath God. You are God's field. You are God's building. And you can just hear Paul trying to get this into their mind. God at the center. God at the center. God at the center. Because they put themselves at the center. And they had a tape from their culture that always just put themselves at the center. When we sang the song and we sang the repetitively, Alleluia, that's two words. You know what those two words are? Hallel, which means praise, Yah. That's an abbreviated form of Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. And, and we come in from a culture that's hallelujah. Right? That is the culture. It's all about me. Praise me. I need your praise. I need to be praised. So you have to say it again and again. You have to constantly be reminded because you always sneak back into the center. It's really not very different than what we did with the opening chapters. Let's just flip back there, chapter 1, because this is the foundation of how Paul even starts his letter. He, he, he's launching this letter, and he just wants to highlight how Christ is at the center. So just let's just look at this. Paul, he's called by God's will. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to the church of God. That, that church is sanctified by Christ. 
that all those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace and peace comes from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm giving thanks to God. I'm talking about the grace of God that was given to you in Christ, that you were enriched in every way and your testimony is about Christ. You're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who's going to sustain you until his day comes. God is the one who's faithful. You, you hear that? Just in the very beginning, he's saying, I know your main problem is you're at the center, and I'm just trying to get Jesus at the center, Jesus at the center, Jesus at the center. I love the story of St. Patrick. It's a missionary, St. Patrick's Day. Isn't that where you wear green? It's in March sometime. People pinch you. What, what is that? I don't know. But he's a missionary to Ireland in the 400s. And in the 400s, Ireland was like a place of like barbarianism, piracy. He actually had gotten captured and had to serve on a ship for a number of years by some pirates in Ireland. He meets the Lord and he decides to go back. He's one of the first evangelists in Ireland. So here he is. He's in a barbaric culture. Now, how, when you live in a barbaric culture, are you going to keep Christ at the center? That's my question. How do you do that? How do you move yourself or other, some other thing out and you have Christ at the center? Well, he writes himself for himself something he was going to pray every day. So you've got St. Patrick's morning prayer. Let me just read part of it to you. Christ with me. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise up, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. That's how you get yourself out of the center. If you wake up every morning and the first two minutes is all about you, the rest of the day is going to be about you. I wake up, and I wish I could sleep some more. I wake up, and I'm hungry. I wake up, and I have to check my phone. I wake up, and I'm in a hurry already. How do I get rid of that? See, that's all. I'm just inserting myself as, Paul, you're the critical thing, and we've got to answer all these questions about you in order for happiness to happen. How does that change? That's my question. I wake up and I say, Christ in me. Christ before me. But before I put myself at any of those things, you see, that habit over time pushes you out of the center and puts Christ in the center. So I was at a conference this last week, a leadership conference, and the guy said, how long does it take to form a habit? Sam had talked about this in the Sunday school class. And everybody gave the same answer, you know, 25, 30, 40 days. 
And he said there was some study, who knows, uh, it was 66 days. That's the average. Now, some people are less, some people are more. But it takes 66 days to create a habit. So here's my challenge. There's about 66 days left in this year. So my challenge to you is that every morning for the next 66 days, you get up, and whatever you choose, you can choose St. Patrick's Prayer, you can Google it and find it easy, you can choose Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 9, you can choose whatever you want. Colossians 1, 1, what is it, 1, 15. He is the invisible image, the visible image of the invisible God, and just has all these great attributes. Whatever it is, for 66 days, just you've got to put it right by your table, so as soon as you wake up and you start thinking, oh, this day is going to be, and just no, for 30 seconds, for one minute, for two minutes, that's how you change. You've got to have that habit because when you get out into the world, the messages come just like this, just like this. I was watching television, and mostly I pay attention to the commercials. And there's a commercial for Hulu. You know what Hulu is? Not a Hulu hoop, but Hulu. You know, the watch television. And their new ad, Hulu, get Hulu. It's going to change your life. <laughs> really, television is going to change. Yeah, probably. Not for the better. But do you see? That's, that's, every, that's every song. That's every message. So if you don't get this in the center first, you don't, you're not going to have a chance. So you've got to have a, a different habit, Christ at the center, Christ at the center. That's what Paul's trying to do. That's the warning label. Hey, church, if you don't have Christ at the center, you're going to put someone else at the center. And guess what? You're going to have divisions. That's the big warning label. And then secondly... Chapters, chapter 3, 10 through 17, it's a warning label, pretty strong one for teachers. And I just want to try to make one point here. Paul is transitioning his illustrations and he's transitioning his target. He's moving from agriculture to architecture. There's a skilled master builder. People are building on top of it. And he moves the target from the pew to the pulpit, from the member to the teacher. So he says, I've come in like a master builder. He's not praising himself. He's just saying, there's only one foundation a church can be on. And we sung about it. What is that foundation? Jesus Christ, the gospel. And he came in and he laid down this foundation. You can find the foundation in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's what Paul laid down. That's his master foundation. Then after he left, he understood other people are going to take these teaching roles on. And they're going to have to build on that foundation. It doesn't mean something new. It doesn't mean something mysterious. It means everything that you do, let's say, how do I now live as a family? How do I live as a business person? How do I live in a community? It's all going to come through the gospel. It's, the gospel is going to inform all your relationships. And he says, here's the test, is it's going to be tested. Everybody who builds on this is going to get tested. Verse 12. 
We're going to find out if you've used gold, silver, or precious stones, these things that can withstand the heat, or wood, hay, and straw. Every one, notice each one, each person who builds, each teacher, each pastor, each community group leader, each youth leader, every Sunday school teacher, it's going to, you're going to face a test. It's going to be manifest. It's going to become visible. It's, it's going to be disclosed. And it's going to be disclosed or revealed by fire. Now, what a warning, right? I mean, you've got a little lump in your throat right now if you're a Sunday school teacher, don't you? Or you're a community group leader, youth leader. <laughs> I mean, what I said to this kid or what I said to, to this group, it's going to face a test. Answer, yes. Yes, it is. This reminds me of Second Peter chapter 3. The Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up by fire. And the works that are done will be exposed. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and you hear about this fire, and then you read Peter, so Paul and Peter are saying, hey, there's fires going to come. Wouldn't you just say, okay, I don't want to teach. I mean, <laughs> I want to avoid that at all, at all possible. What, what would give the courage to somebody to teach if they knew Everything they said was going to be tested by fire. How would you? Ha- why would? How would Paul Phillips have the courage to teach? Here's my answer. Matthew twenty four thirty five. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but what? My word. My word will never pass away. Hebrews four twelve. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul, the spirit, the joints, the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the hearts of man. First Peter one twenty four. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Ironically, Peter, one of the celebrity pastors, not, not in his mind, but in the church's mind, he's saying, guys, I'm like grass. Don't, don't, don't rest your whole life on grass because it's going away. And if you're new to Christ Community Church, I want you to know this is at our core. When you come, whether you come on a Sunday morning or you come to a community group, this is what we do. This is why we have confidence as teachers is we teach you what's in the Bible. We don't reference the Bible and then tell you a bunch of stuff. We teach you what's in the Bible. So we have confidence today. I'm not going to get this all perfectly, but I'm perfectly satisfied that I'm resting on chapter 3, 1 through 17. That's what I'm trying to tell you about. And so we can have confidence that you're not coming here and you're not building your whole life around Paul Phillips. You're not building your whole life around your community group leader. No kid is involved in wrapping their whole life around a youth group leader. We're all trying to say, this is the foundation. Amen. This is our only hope. There is a fire that is going to come, and we're trusting this is the one thing. Paul Phillips is like grass. Well, let's just say he's a flower. Let's use, I like a flower better than grass. I mean, they're going to both go away, right? But let's just think of a nice flower. 
But he's going away. I'm going to die and many of you are still going to be in this congregation. And if you put all your, your hope in me, man, you're going to be in deep trouble. But I am desperately trying to help you and all of our leaders are desperately trying to help you found your life on the word of God. So I stopped here and I'm going to stop here. And I thought for a moment, man, four chapters on division. I mean, why, why, Lord, why are we spending, we're going to end up spending seven weeks in these four chapters. And it's the same topic every time I'm just saying it different ways about division, jealousy, strife, division. Why, why are you having Christ Community Church think through this right now? And I don't know I don't know the answer to that. But I thought, well, we're not experiencing any unusual kind of division right now that I can see. We don't have any like shining personalities in a way that I think that's happening here. But then I thought, when's the best time to address a problem? You know, when you don't have the problem, right? Because <laughs> You know, when you have a problem, you have a lot of heat, no light, right? But when you don't have the problem, you can say, okay, if we had this problem, how would we deal with this problem? And so I was just thinking, you know, we don't have that problem, but as the church grows, look, it's growing. It's growing not just numerically, it's growing, uh, the budget's growing. The, The kinds of people that are coming are growing. Socioeconomically, racially, ethnically. And those are all great things. But when the door of finance opens up, guess what can come through? Division. When the door of of different ethnicity opens up to the church, praise God. But guess what can come through that door? Division. Preferences. And preferences lead to isolation into the group of people that I think this is how we should spend our money or why these people are here. Or you just name it. It's in, it's in my heart. It's in your heart. So I feel like God is saying, Paul and Christ Community Church, just take, take these seven weeks. Think, think about yourself. Ask yourself before these doors open up even wider. Do you have Christ at the center? Because if you don't, it's going to be trouble. It's going to be the same trouble as Paul's experience here. So this morning, we're pulling out the warning label. And it's not a warning label we're just going to throw away. We're going to look at it and say, so when we use what we have, we use it in the, in the right way. Let's pray together. Lord, we come together this morning to hear your word and to be challenged and changed by the word of God. We, the worst thing that I think could, could happen for me as this pastor of this church is in 15 years, if everyone was just an infant. I mean, how discouraging that must have been for the Apostle Paul, that that people came in, but nobody grew. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just 
move through every heart, even if it's just somebody's here for one week, that this is a divine appointment. That they would just look at themselves and say, maybe I'm just an adolescent. I never really moved very much further than this, even though I've been a Christian for 40 or 50 years. I'm still uh, angry and bitter and unforgiving. So, so help, help us. We, we desperately need your help. We need to see this warning label. Every teacher needs to examine what they say. We pray for your presence and help to us. Christ in us. Christ in front and by the side and behind us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.